0: turn then into God's Word, to the book of Judges, chapter 13, as we consider another one of the M folks that are found on the pages of Scripture. This morning we look at a man by the name of Manoah. We look particularly at his call to be a father and the challenge of that call. In his life, Judges chapter 13, we'll be reading the entire chapter this morning. It's here then God's breathed out word to us. The people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. There was a certain man of Zorah, of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. His wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man whom you sent come again to us and teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah. The angel of God came again to the woman as she sat in the field, but Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came to me the other day has appeared to me. And Manoah arose and went with his, after his wife and came to the man and said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. And Manoah said, Now when your words come true, what is to be the child's manner of life and what is his mission? And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine, nor let her drink wine or strong drink, or eat any unclean thing. All that I commanded her, let her observe. (coughs) Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you, and prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, If you detain me, I will not eat of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, then offering it, offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name, so that when your words come true we may honor you? And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it on the rock to the Lord, to the one who works wonders, and Manoah and his wife were watching. And when the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. Now Manoah and his wife were watching, and they fell on their faces to the ground. The angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and to his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die, for we have seen God. But his wife said to him, If the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering at our hands to show us all these things, or now announce to us such things as these. And the woman bore a son, called his name Samson. And the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir in him in Mahadan, between Zora and Eshtael. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Let's again bow in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for these words that you have given us in your holy word. We pray that you will guide Pastor Bob as he instructs us in these words this morning. And we thank you for the many godly fathers you have given us <coughs> and the way that they have sought your wisdom in the raising of their children as well. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. I want to look at three things regarding Manoah this morning particularly in regards to his being a father upon this Father's Day. One, Manoah's culture, the context in which Manoah is living. Secondly, Manoah's calling. And thirdly, Manoah's challenge. He's got to raise Samson. First of all, then, Manoah's culture. Well, this story, this Truth that God has given to us takes place in the book of Judges, a book where we have a repeated theme over and over and over again. Now, there was no king in Israel, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. There was no king. There's no physical king. There's no human king as to so order things for the nation. But it also is a picture for us, not just of a physical king, not just of a human leader, but of the fact that there is no one acknowledging God. Now by no one, I I mean that in the general sense. Israel is no longer living as if God were their king. That's why it's emphasized every man did what was right in his own eyes. That law that we read previously no longer is the characterization of the society, the culture. Nobody's paying attention to those Ten Commandments. Now, nobody's paying attention to anything else God has really said either as far as the culture is concerned. Within that culture, there is the remnant. And obviously, Manoah and his wife are part of that remnant. But for the culture, the general society, God's rules have been set aside. Certainly not unlike the day and age in which you and I live. Those ten rules that God has given certainly are not that which identifies us as a culture in the society in which we live. We could go down through every one of those ten. And I think if you and I simply reflected on it for a moment. We could give numerous examples. Of how each one is set aside. And it's not just here and there they're set aside. It's it's generally. Culturally. It is set aside. Just. If you just reflect upon the Lord's Day one. Think of driving past Myers on your way home from church. What's it look like? Think of the drive-thru at McDonald's. What's it look like? Think of the gas station. What's it look like? Think of the ballparks. Think of the stadiums. Think of God's name. How frequently throughout the course of a day you hear the name of God taken in vain. Just in, in people's casual conversation, they're not even angry, they're not even upset. But God's name is dragged through the mud on a regular basis. A culture that is based upon the idea of An economic system that is based upon the idea of coveting. Wanting more. Every television ad is not there for your benefit. Those sales ads are to create within you a desire for more. We live in a culture. The culture of Manoah. That's the book of Judges. There was no king in Israel. Every man simply did... What was right in his own eyes. Secondly, the second thing we have to understand about this is that he is of the tribe of the Danites. Verse 2. A certain man of Zorah, of the tribe of the Danites. This too puts us in the context, in the culture of his day. Not only in this general understanding of judges, but now it gets even worse. And, and the epitome of this culture of Judges is found in the tribe of Dan. The tribe of Dan, more than any of the other tribes in their tribal allotments, is being disobedient to God. I would agree with most commentators who agree, who, who point out the fact that chapter 18 of the book of Judges, where you have the account of of the Danites leaving their tribal allotment because they're simply too lazy to deal with the people who God has told them to drive out. They simply go, I don't know, that's way too much work. Isn't there something easier? I mean, we don't really want to fight, we don't want to engage these people in warfare. Can't we do something else? We really don't like the property God's allotted to us. We don't like how the providences of God have worked themselves out. And a a number of those Danites, in fact, it, it appears that a large percentage of the tribe moves to a place that God has not told them to go. And in that 18th chapter, we read of the fact that they come upon a nice, quiet, unsuspecting town. And they go, hey, this will be easy to take over because these people aren't going to fight us. So they go in and basically slaughter these people and take over their town. This is not the approval of God. They're supposed to be back in their tribal allotment. But they're a rebellious people. No other tribe, do we read, has left its tribal allotment. Other tribes we know and hear didn't drive them all out. But none of them have left. But the Danites have. But they've gone even a step further. In chapter 18 of the book of Judges. Not only do they leave their allotment. They find some guy who has fashioned his own idol. An ephah. And they take that with them. And that becomes their object and means of worship. So not only have they disobeyed God's command as to where to live how to live, they've also disobeyed God in those commandments. Thou shalt have no other God but me. thou shall not make for thyself an image in the form of anything in the likeness of heaven and earth. They've just disregarded this. They've got their own religion going. That's the culture of Manoah. That's his tribe. So not only is his nation, but his tribe is a group of rebellious, hard-hearted, stubborn, lazy pagans at this point in time. But there is a third thing about the culture of Manoah we have to understand. The third thing is this. There is a growing assimilation with the Philistines. You know, previous to this, in the book of Judges, we we have that cycle, right? The Israelites sin, what happens? God sends another nation to punish them, to call them to repentance. And what's the next thing we read? And the people of Israel cry out to the Lord for a deliverer. Notice what happens in verse 1 of chapter 13. The people again did evil. The Lord responds by sending the Philistines. What don't we read? We don't read the people cried out. Why? Hey, It's not so bad being under the Philistines. We kind of like this. The Philistines bring great economic opportunity. We're not crying out and cringing. Lord, you've brought enemies to rule over us. No, it's, mm, this isn't so bad. We've got people to buy our grain. We're exchanging. Good trade is taking place. They grow a lot of grapes. Hmm, we can exchange that for our grain. And we can get some good beverages going. They get some food. This works out for everybody. And you know, these Philistines really aren't such bad people. They really kind of seem to like us. They get along with us. Actually, as the story goes on, and you know the account, Samson makes many trips back and forth to Philistine territory. They get along with him. In fact, when Samson begins being an irritant to the Philistines, it is the people of his own tribe who come to him and say, would you knock it off? You're making it uncomfortable for us, Samson. We're getting along well with these Philistines. Leave them alone. Stop it. We like living under Philistine rule. And the understanding is that as we look at what is happening in Israel, it's not only the economic, it's not only the personal, it's also the religious. We think there's something to this Dagon God. We think there's something to this half man, half fish God that these people worship. And maybe, maybe they can teach us a thing or two. Maybe we can learn something from their religion. And maybe that would be a benefit to us too as much as their trade is. And you know what? The Philistines got iron. We don't have to plow with a wooden plow anymore. They got iron. They got iron weapons. Maybe we can get our hands on some of them. A growing assimilation. Not unlike, as I mentioned before, our day and age. It's not only our culture, is it? It's our churches. Our churches have become disobedient to the Lord. We worship any way we want, do anything we like, do that which makes us happy, just like a group of Danites. We leave our tribal inheritances, we leave that which is good, and write that which is God has promised in order for an easy life. It's a lot easier being a part of a church that doesn't have an evening worship. You can feel a lot of less guilt. Well, our church just doesn't have evening church. Yeah, now you don't need to feel guilty that you aren't in church where you ought to be. Our church makes everything easy to be a believer. Yep, when you got 2,000 folks, it's easy to slip in and out of the doors and not be detected. But you know, it's not just there. It's in our own hearts, in our own lives. Not fully claiming the promises of God. We too, like Danite, want the easy life, the easy Christian life, rather than the warfare that God calls us to struggle with, with our own sin, with our own hearts, within the context of our own world. I'm going to be reminded of that when I come to church at five o'clock. Because when I come to church at 5 o'clock, I'm going to go down Berlin Fair Drive. 50 years ago, that space would have been bare till Monday morning. It will not be. There will be all sorts of activity, all sorts of things going on. Including, guess what? Christian folks. Involving themselves in all sorts of things. See, we live in the tribe of the Danites. With this growing assimilation, can't we just all get along? Do we have to make such a distinction of the fact that we're reformed? Can't we just blur the distinctions? Can't we just cover them over? Do we really have to mention that we're not Catholic all the time? Do we have to mention we're not Lutheran? Do we have to mention we're not Methodist? Do we have to mention we're not Arminian? Can't we just lessen the standards and all get along? A growing assimilation. But in that, there is a man named Manoah. A man who has not left. The tribal allotment. That tells us a lot about the character of this man. He didn't go with the rest of the tribe. He didn't flee. This is a man who we learn in verse 8, prays. This is a man who seeks to be obedient. This is a man who goes against the culture of his day, against the tribe of his day, and is certainly seeking not to assimilate with the Philistines. And it's to this man that God now comes. A man who has no children, who has a wife, who is barren. How often in Scripture do we not come across this exact same situation? Manoah now is called. And he's called, interestingly, through his wife. You notice that? Manoah, we don't know where he is, but he seems to be a religious man. But it is to the wife. It is to her that the angel of the Lord comes. He appears to her, verse 3. The angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren, and then we have the rest. Go down to verse 8. She goes, tells her husband, Manoah. What does Manoah do? Manoah prays, Lord, show yourself again through this man. What does the Lord do? Okay, Manoah, you're out there in the field. Here comes the angel to you. What does the Lord do? He appears again to his wife. Now, you have to step back from this and say, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? What is that telling us? Well, we have to be careful not to read too much into it. On the other hand, we have to be careful not to just dismiss it either. So I think at the least, we can say this. One of the reasons that the angel of the Lord appears to Mrs. Manoah and not to him, because the greater stigma of having no child is on her. The culture of the day, the society of the day, puts all the stigma of the barrenness upon her. God in his graciousness appears to her first. With his news of grace and mercy. Some commentators will tell you that perhaps she is the one still praying for the child. Manoah perhaps has given up. She perhaps still has hope, still has faith in that possibility. Is she the more spiritual of the two? Perhaps. Honestly, men, which of us really can say that our wife is less spiritual than we are? It's pretty rare. I don't say that with pride, I don't say that with arrogance, that's not a badge. But generally speaking, in the world and in the society and in the culture in which we live in, shame on us, our wives are more spiritual than we are. They're more faithful in their devotions, they pray more. They speak of spiritual things far more than we do. We're more willing to step outside and talk about yesterday's ball game, whereas many women are far more willing to talk about this morning's sermon. It's part of the culture. It's part of that Manoah's culture. But it is interesting. It is something to reflect on. On the other hand, we also can't just dismiss the fact that, well, Noah's just a no-good pagan. No, because verse 8, he prays to the Lord, and then we read verse 9, and the Lord listened to the voice of Manoah. Just not exactly the way he planned it. He planned on the angel just coming to him. The Lord says, no, 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 no. I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to have it again. But you've got to understand what is happening. The second thing about his calling is to note that it's not only through his wife, but who it is that's coming. We have this repeated refrain, the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord. Those of you who attend our Bible studies know that we've gone through this explanation many times, but that that article, that specific article, that definite article, the, the angel of the Lord, designates... Jesus Christ, actually the best way to describe it is it designates Christ in his pre-incarnate existence. The second person of the Trinity, the Son of God. And we find that in, in three instances. Notice at the end of verse 11, we have that phrase, I am that same phrase that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to repeat often in the gospel of John I am the light of the world I am the bread of the world I am the the right, I am the resurrection and the life I am the way I am the good shepherd I am We have it again when the name is asked for what is your name and the the angel of the Lord responds why do you ask my name it is Wonderful. Pointing us again to Isaiah. Wonderful, consular, mighty God, prince of priests. And then we have their response. Manoah and his wife said, we have seen God. Yes, they did. They saw Christ. This calling of Manoah is by Jesus Christ himself. And what's his calling to be? It's to be a father. It's to be a father. It's rather amazing as you read the account. Look at verse 12. Manoah said, Now when your words come true, he doesn't doubt. He doesn't question. He's not Sarah in the tent going... Yeah, right. We're going to have a child? you got to be kidding me. There's no, there's no laughter here. When Manoah encounters Christ, there is no doubt. There are no questions in terms of disbelief over that which is going to happen. It is interesting that what he checks on What he wants to know is he wants a confirmation of how the child is to be raised. He wants to know what are to be my duties. What are to be my responsibilities. You're calling me to a great task. You're calling me to a great responsibility. I just want to underscore. What am I to do? Oh, would to God that more of us. As fathers, we're coming before Christ saying, what is it you would have me to do as a dad? What is it you would have me do as a father? How is it that you would like me to raise my children? And that's Manoah. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. Of what fatherhood truly is. But this man. Faces an enormous challenge. An enormous challenge. Because verse 24 tells us. That the woman. Bore a son. And they called him. Samson. And all of a sudden our minds are filled. With all sorts. Of interesting thoughts. This. Is the child that Manoah has to raise? Yes. And it would appear that he did his job. Look at verses 24 and 25. The young man grew. And the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in him. Now what does all that indicate? All of that indicates is this. Manoah did his job. He made sure his wife stayed away from the strong drink, from the wine, from the vine. While this child was in the womb, he made sure that Samson was raised as a Nazarite under the Nazarite vows and requirements. He made sure he did that which was Right. You say, How do you know that, Bob? I know that because the text tells me the young man grew and the Lord blessed him, and the spirit of the Lord began to stir in him. That's an indication of the Lord is looking upon this situation and saying, Manoia, you did your job. Samson's growing up, he's becoming a strong young man, not only physically, but spiritually. You've done your job. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, Manoah. Well done, dad. Well done, father. You raised this young man as you were instructed to raise him. Chapter 14. Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. And then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as his wife. But his father and his mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among our people that you must go and take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? God gave him a child, Samson. They raise him, train him, God blesses him. But now he's a young man. It's on his own. I want that woman. And notice the concern. Really? See, if you read between the lines, what it's saying is, really? Really? We raised you different than that. We instructed you different. We told you to stay away from the unclean thing. And their reference to the fact of these uncircumcised Philistines is the clarification of it. They know precisely that this is wrong. And they are seeking to guide him and to tell him, Samson, this isn't right. This is not what you are to do. Thank God for fathers like Manoah who are willing to look in the face of their children, sons and daughters, and to say, what you're doing is not right. This is a bad decision. This is not what God would have you do. They didn't know what the consequences of that line were going to be. Samson might have walked away and said, well, then I'm going to have everything to do with you. That might be the course. But at least they were willing to say it. At least they were willing to point out to Samson that what he was about to do was sin. This isn't the right way to live. This isn't a good decision. They expressed their concerns. But Samson, picking it up at the end of verse 3, But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. His father and mother did not know it was from the Lord. For he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines at that time. The Philistines ruled over Israel. Then Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah. Behold, a young lion came out. Verse 10. His father went down to the woman, and Samson prepared a feast there so the young men used to do. And now I'm bewildered. What's Manoah doing? Samson has said, I want this woman. Manoah has said, I don't think that's a good idea, son. That's sinful. You shouldn't be marrying a Philistine woman. She's a pagan. That's not according to the word of the Lord. But now we see him going with Samson to Timnah. In fact, it appears he goes with him on at least two occasions, including the wedding. What's he doing? Well... If we want to believe the best about Manoah, then we'd probably have to go here. That he's seeking to guide him. <laughs> he's going. If the kid's going there, I'm at least going with him because maybe I'll have an opportunity to talk him out of it. If he's going to go to Timnah and he goes alone, I know where this is headed. I know where this is going. I know where his heart is set. But if I go with him to Timnah, Maybe somewhere along the way, somewhere along this route, I can at least talk him out of this. Maybe I can point out something about Timnah. Maybe I can point out something about this woman. Okay, you're still set on it? Okay, then I'm going to even go with you to the wedding because if I have the opportunity, maybe, maybe in some way I can intervene. That's the best. But our worst interpretation would have to be that he caved into the sinful desire of his son. Scripture doesn't answer it. What is it? Well, maybe it, it simply goes down to what was his motivation. And for there, scripture doesn't tell us. Because you see, many of you have been there. You don't think the decision your child has made is right. You've expressed it. Now the question is, what do I do? What do I do now? Perhaps this passage simply tells us if you go with them to Timnah, but you're going with a motivation, Lord, I want to take every opportunity I can to still reach into the heart and life of my child. The Lord is leaving that open because they never come under condemnation. Maybe if, if our motivation, maybe if our heart's desire as to why we're willing to, to even attend the wedding of a child that we're saying, oh, this isn't good, is because we're hoping even at the last moment to be able to be there and to pick up the pieces. But there is certainly a word of judgment here too, isn't there? That if we're simply allowing our child to indulge in sin, oh, the problems that are going to develop. So we simply have to leave it there. The thing Manoah and his wife don't know is that little verse that says this was of the Lord. In the providences of God, he's trying to stir up his people against these very Philistines that Samson is seeking to become part of. And if you read the rest of the story, he does. He uses this as a means of beginning to drive the wedge. But you know, the story doesn't end there. Because Manoah is also a man facing all the challenges he does of raising somebody like Samson, strong willed as much as he was strong in physical strength. He has a son who's listed. He's listed in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32 along with Gideon, along with Barak, along with Jephthah, along with Abraham, along with Isaac, along with Jacob, along with Noah, along with Adam, along with Seth, along with Moses. He's listed there. Samson. And all the tragedy of of what happens in the rest of the book of Judges. There he is. Wow, didn't he do great things? That's probably why he's in Hebrews 11, right? No. Why is he in Hebrews 11? Because what is Hebrews 11 about? Faith. What is faith? It is the gift of God's what? Grace. See, when it finally comes down to it, dad, mom, It comes down to God's grace. It comes down to God. Working. Moving. In his unusual, unfathomable ways. We can be faithful parents. But sometimes we raise a Samson. looks like a tragedy unfolding. Yet God's grace reaches even the Samson's. Sometimes we have to go to Timna. As much as it hurts, as much as it pains us, we have to go to Timna. We've done our duty. We've been faithful in raising our child. Sometimes we even need to go to Timna to seek to continue to be the influence that God would have us be as fathers upon our children. Some of you have been there. Some of you went to Timna. Some of you had a dad who came to you in your lowest point. God's grace. God's grace. See men, we have been given a title. That the woman sitting next to us who has borne our children was not privileged We've been given the title Father. We are God's image bearers in being fathers like our Father in heaven is to be to us. Lord, thank you for reaching Thank you for journeying through your Son to Timna, to reach us by grace, by mercy. Thank you for this man's life, for its testimony on the pages of Scripture. And we would pray, Father, that we, 21st century Manoas, might be faithful in the calling to be godly fathers. The glory of Christ. In his name we pray and God's people say, Amen.